of Revelations chapter 21, verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things uh, new. For the I want to talk for the next few moments. All things new, uh, living life forward. All things new, living life forward. Would you say that with me? All things new. Come on, living life forward. The Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard said these words, life is lived forward, but it is understood backwards. Life is lived forward, right? But it is understood backwards. Uh, as we journey and as we continue and as we find a way to reopen the church, reopen America, reopen hopes, dreams, and visions, uh, you'll understand probably better uh, as you look backwards over what God has done in your life. Once again, life is lived forward. We don't live backwards. We don't have time to turn around and reminisce uh, in the things of our past, but we do understand the hand. We understand the grace. We understand sometimes uh, the, the things of God by seeing what he has already done. This post-pandemic Era. I know that uh, we're still in pandemic. I know that we are still dealing with possibly a second surge of this disease. But in my world, I'm already prophesying that the worst is behind us and the best is yet to come. In this post-pandemic era, may we take a moment to realize what God has done for the people of God. Yes, we've wept. We've cried. We've been frustrated. We've been confused. It's been difficult for many of us. We've seen a whole world shut down. Not just the church, of course, but we've seen businesses. We've seen schools and universities. We've seen the travel industry, corporations, sports come to a complete halt. Uh, when we started this whole thing, we were looking in the numbers of a hundred and a thousand and tens of thousands. And now we've crescendoed over a hundred thousand lives that have supposedly been lost. Uh, we've seen 40 million people plus who are without a job job on today and they say that if that's that and they say that if those numbers bother you there's still to come more challenges with this season uh unfortunately on today we've experienced some of us in our homes close loved ones family and friends the death of loved ones the demise of close friends and unfortunately a lot of those that we did not have the chance to traditionally be by them by their bedsides in the hospital or at the funeral home or even during the gravesite. It has been a season for us. I can remember early on, I made a statement online and one of my, my white colleagues wanted to know, what do you mean when America catches a cold, black America catches pneumonia? And I had to explain to him, my dear friend, we are two Americas in the same United States of America. The disparity of health in the black community, access, accurate answers, and healing. There's a disparity, and we've been exposed. And truthfully, this is nothing new in our community. We've known these things, but now the world sees there is a disparity in the African-American community. May I submit to you today that, unfortunately, we've experienced two viruses in the last 99 days the virus of corona sickness, and the virus of racism. In the African-American community, we're crying for change, crying for hope. And it's sad to say that now we see the exposure of white silence, 
for white silence does equate to violence. We're seeing privilege. We're seeing all type of developments, militarized police. Would you ever imagine it, Pastor Tim, you said it best. Who would have thought we would look back at 2020, which arguably may now become the greatest year or the most eventful year in the history of time. And we're halfway through June. This has been unusual, unorthodox, unprecedented. But you're still here. And God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. I've been seeking the Lord for a word for this Sunday. In fact, 90% of this message I prepared weeks and weeks and weeks ago. The Lord spoke to me and said, whenever the day is right and the weekend is right, this will be the message that you'll preach. And I want to talk these next few moments about new beginnings, new era. All things become brand new. And I want to show you in the word of God what happens when a body of people are sent through a storm, when they're sent through the, a turbulent season, when they're sent through a season when the things that we're seeing like nothing is stable, things are shaken. And people are wanting to know, God, are you in this shaking? Are you in this agitation? Are you in the things that we're seeing online and seeing in the media? And so please hear the word of the Lord in this moment. We hear the names of Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. And now in the last 48 hours or so, now there are two or three other new names of black faces who have succumbed to the demise of police brutality. On one hand, you have those who are saying a lot of this is politically motivated. On the other hand, you have those who are saying this is hard time to deal with has always been. And somewhere in all of this, the church has to answer and give questions or give answers to the questions that people are wanting to know. I want to remind you of a scripture that came to mind in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 25, I want you to listen closely of a similarity of what was happening in the days of when this was written to what you and I are experiencing right now. And for those that are online, follow me at Hebrews 12, 25. Notice what the word of God says. Now this once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace for by which we may serve God acceptably in reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, once again, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but whoever wrote Hebrews talks about a time when God, not the devil, God, not the enemy, God shook both heaven and he shook earth. And the Bible says that God spoke from heaven. And when he spoke from heaven, it shook not just the heavens, but it shook the earth. So the Hebrew draws back the author, or the Hebrew writer draws back the audience and says, Now, if he spoke from heaven and things were shaken, now he speaks from heaven and both heaven and earth are shaken. So we've been seeing these days of shakening. Nothing has been the same these last 99 days. Nothing has been the same these last three and a half, almost four months. Things that you thought, things that I thought were unshakable 
have been shaken. Things that we thought were constant and consistent, it could not be moved. I was flying home the other day from Alabama, and I just noticed all of the airplanes in the parking lot of the airport in Birmingham. It was a sight to see. Like it was an overflow gathering of planes that normally would be in the air. I sent my family a video of, of an empty airport at 10 in the morning. You walk down the streets of Charlotte, quiet, now boarded up. Who would have thought when we came into the new year, we would be sitting in a church with masks on, thermometer checks. They opened Las Vegas last night and the casinos were filled with people. Ain't nobody have a mask on nowhere. People who've been peacefully protesting and rightfully so, I've been out there with them, but I had my mask on. These are outrageous times to be living in. The Bible says that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But before we receive that kingdom, God comes and shakes every foundation, every establishment, everything you thought could not be shaken. So now he has your complete attention. The things that we had gotten so easy, the Bible speaks of woe to those that take ease in Zion. We gotten so complacent. We had gotten so comfortable. We'd gotten so dependent on our regular nine to five. Now for many, many millions of America, that nine to five is gone. We were okay with a little money in the bank long as we had enough for the rent payment and the car note and had a little bit of money left over to go, go to Myrtle Beach from time to time. Now that, that money has dried up. The question was asked in the Old Testament, why the wilderness? Deuteronomy 8. He said, I want to humble you. I want to see really what's in your heart. And then I want to do you real good in the end. I believe we've, we've experienced, not a 40-day, but we've experienced a 99-plus-day wilderness because God wanted to humble us, remind you that man does not live by bread alone. I think I'm talking all right this morning. Uh, he wanted to humble us. And no, no matter how great we think we are, how smart we think we are, how grand we think we are, God said, listen, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of my mouth. He wanted to really try what was in your heart. Job's wife said, just curse him and die. Job said, no, no. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, I will yet trust him. And some of you, you have been, you've been pushed to the boiler point of basically cursing God and dying. But you refuse to do so. Because you know that God is faithful. And if you keep in prayer, keep pressing, keep praying, be patient, and he that shall come will come, and it won't tarry. I need every one of you all to know that this has been a test. This has been nothing more than a sanctified test to see what was in your heart. Were you going to fold or were you going to stand? Were you going to bellyache and cry and woe is me? Or are you going to walk and stand by faith? Anybody can stand by faith when money is flowing and people are friendly and things are going your way. But can you stand by faith not knowing where your next paycheck is coming from? Can you stand by faith 
when it seems like everywhere you turn, somebody's getting sick. Can you walk by faith? Believe his word. God makes all things brand new. But this, my friends, has also been a time for the child of God to rethink, to reset, to restructure. This has been a time to rethink our priorities, our perspectives, and our purposes. These last 90 some odd days at home having church online and Zoom and Facebook Live and online streaming, I pray that it has been a time where you have gathered the family around the altar, had those intimate conversations, had those intense talks. And if the virus of corona wasn't enough, now we got to have that talk with our young black sons and our young black granddaughters. Now we got to explain to them why they're seeing a neck under the oppressed knee of an officer. They've got to wonder why a young black man couldn't go jogging in the, in the state of Georgia without losing his life. We got to have those conversations. And who knows? Who knows? There may not be any protesting. There may not have been a George Floyd if the coronavirus wouldn't have slowed the world down to take note. It wouldn't be millions of people protesting if everybody had a job. Y'all not talking to me right now. God knows exactly what he's doing. You wouldn't have no time to protest. You wouldn't have no time to plan. Well, you got to go to work. But now, a whole lot of folk ain't got no work. So those who work are flexible at home so they can adjust their schedules. God knows what he's doing. And I'm so overjoyed to see our white brothers and white sisters standing shoulder to shoulder, side to side. Because that's something we had not seen in the last 40, 50 years. So I believe God is up to something big. And you know what? You are right smack dab in the middle of it. Let me go to the word of God. Romans 8, 20 reminds us, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. In this season, I'm, I'm working on something, what I'm calling the, the manifesto, the manifesto. I've, I've asked the Lord these last few weeks, what is it that you want the city church to do in this season? When we come through this shakening, uh, Hebrews 12, when, you, when it comes to this new kingdom that you're conferring on the church, it can't be church as usual. It can't be business as usual. What are the things, God, that we want to be able to sink our teeth into? What is it that you want us to draw a line in the sand and put our stake in? And where is it, God, that you'd have us to be at the church? He gave me five things these next few weeks. I'll hit every one of these things as the Lord says the same. Number one, we have to be Jesus only. We have to go back to Jesus being the center of our joy. And I'm not talking about being apostolic. We're not changing our doctrinal belief. When I say Jesus only, it is in him that we live. It is in him that we move. It is in him that we have our being. Jesus can't be a weekend thing. Jesus can't be I need a job thing. Jesus can't be I need a girlfriend thing. But he has to be everything, everywhere, at all times. Number two, may we be a people committed not just to prayer, but corporate prayer. We have to go back to crying out to God on Sundays on Saturdays, together as a people. The Bible says in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, that the church constantly made prayer for Peter, that the church was constantly in prayer. And I know you pray at home, and you pray over your food, and you pray online, but whatever happened to coming together and crying out between the porch and the altar, crying out on the behalf of Israel, crying out on behalf of the church. Number three, may we be a people dependent more on the Holy Ghost. We must be a people. I don't hear nobody saying nothing this morning. I've been having 12 weeks of preaching to a camera. 
<laughs> I want somebody to say amen. Maybe may remind me I'm back in the live church this morning. Somebody shout amen. amen. May we be a people dependent on the auspice, the presence, the power, the purpose, the person of the Holy Spirit. He can't be the Cinderella of the Trinity, always left home. He's got to be the main thing in this day and time. We got to depend on his counsel. The church needs his counsel. God bless legal counsel and moral counsel and ethical counsel, but we need to hear from heaven. He needs to be our convictor when we sin, when we fall short iniquities, when we go over bounds transgression, when we miss the mark. We need the Holy Ghost to remind us holiness, righteousness, integrity. We need the Holy Spirit to comfort us because we've lost a lot in this season. You may not have lost a mother or a wife or a husband or a son or a daughter, but you've lost some who usually would have walked by your side. Some have lost finances. Others have lost in other areas of momentum. So the Holy Spirit comes to comfort us. Number four, we must be a people given to health and wellness. You've not heard me preach a lot on health and wellness in the 25 years of this ministry. And I'll be the first to admit I've taken those things for granted. But when we see the disparity of black health in America, when we see the statistics and the numbers aren't lying when it comes to our health, they say that coronavirus stuff, Corona-19 virus, yes, it's very, very, very little chance that a healthy young person can get it, but they do. But there's not a lot of healthy young folks sitting in this room right now. And they say that it is now being linked that the more obese or the more we have pre-existing illnesses, whether it be diabetes or whether it be blood issues or whatever it might be in our, our lungs, it creates even more. So it is exposed. And there are billions of dollars being spent every year trying to convince the black community to change its eating habits, change its work habits or its health, uh, fitness habits. And unfortunately, I have to painfully admit that I'm part of that culture that loves some good old fried chicken at the church on Sundays. Oh, we love good old bone and croaker on Friday nights. Thank God for Taco Tuesdays and Nachos Wednesdays. And in the church, particularly the black church, we've got more sweet potato pies and red velvet cakes and cherry surprise cakes, and all of the things you love to be a blessing to the pastor with. Pastor, we love you. We love you. Now, you don't write no check, but you will bake a cake in a heartbeat. I will tell you that much. You don't do no cash out, but I tell you in a heartbeat, you will send a, a bucket of fried chicken in a heartbeat. I'm thinking you love me so much, you'll send me some grilled chicken. But you know I ain't going to eat no grilled chicken right now. But moving forward, somebody say moving forward. I didn't hear nobody. Somebody say moving forward. We have to be more attentive, more compliant to health and wealth. Gaius was a sick man. Gaius was a sick man. And John writes, Gaius, 3 John 2, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. Gaius was not the healthiest man in the world, and John was concerned about his health. Timothy, take a little wine. For your stomach's sake, you're not going to be useful for me in ministry if you're always bellyache and sick. Number five, stewardship. We've lost money. 
Some of you have lost sales. You've lost momentum. You've lost investments. And we got to get back to a place of how do we build our income? How do we believe God for favor on the job for increases and raises and promotions? And how do we start our businesses? And how do we use more wisdom? How do we take advantage of things others take advantage of? We've got work to do. And I hope that these five areas of my manifesto for the church resonate with you somewhere because we've got work to do these next few seasons to come. I want to go back real quick to Revelation 21, then I'll close. This is a season of newness for the church. And I just want to minister a couple of words of scripture to you so you can get in your spirit what newness really looks like. When I think about the word new, I think about the quality of being fresh. The quality of not just being fresh, but being recent. When we say that God makes all things new, you got to realize we're not talking about something old, something that has never existed previously, unused, unknown, remarkable. So when I say that God wants to do a new thing in you, it's more than a churchy cliche. It's more than a nice jargon word of, 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 of pleasing you. You got to know, you got to almost be able to prophesy to yourself that God brought me through a season of shaking. God brought me through a season of agitation. God brought me through a season of darkness, death, and disease. But I made it through the season not to remain neutral, not to remain average, but there's something new that God wants to do in your world, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your children, whether it's your finances, whether it's your physical body, whether it's your inner man. He wants to do something new, unusual, unused, unknown, remarkable. Bible says in Exodus chapter 12, let me give you a couple of Old Testament scriptures, then I'll give you a couple of New Testament scriptures. Now the Lord, verse 1 and 2, spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be a beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, I don't know about nobody else in Egypt, Aaron. We're not talking to anybody else in Egypt, Moses, but it was in slavery. It was in bondage. It was while they were still in the COVID-19 that God spoke and say, yes, it's racism on every hand. Systemic, corporate, blatant, you name it. But in this east season of Egypt, God speaks to Aaron and he speaks to Moses. And he says, I don't care if it's June the 7th. Doesn't matter to me if we're in the month of June. But for you, my friend, I say Happy New Year. For you, my sister, I say it is a new beginning. I, I know you can't high-five nobody, but I just need you to look at somebody, point your finger at them, and say, neighbor, happy new year. I know it's June. I know we're in the dead of summer, but it's a new year for you. God says, Moses, Aaron, for you in this season, it's going to be a season of new beginning. You're not saying amen right now. Why? Because darkness and doubt and debt clutters your mind. But you got to see beyond the doubt. You got to see beyond the darkness. You got to see beyond the and say, Happy New Year to me. I'm just expecting first thing Monday morning. Something new is going to happen for me. I believe in God by the end of business day on Friday. Something new is going to happen to me. I don't hear nobody saying nothing. Just wave your hand and say, Newness. Bible says in Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now before it springs forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness. I don't hear nobody. I, I, I hope you don't think you're at home watching online church. God says I'm going to do something new in your world. And before I do it, I'm going to tell you. 
He's telling you right now, the Lord does nothing new except he revealed his secret to the prophets, his servant. I'm here to prophesy to you right now that the Lord, you don't want to say amen in the sanctuary? Let me talk to these people online. Brother Vincent, give me a good close-up shot. I'm here to speak into your home, speaking to your apartment, speaking to your townhouse, speaking to your flat, your double wide, that God says, behold. The word behold means uh, take a good look. Uh, what you see today, you won't see tomorrow. I want you to look closer and realize that I'm going to do a new thing in your home. I know your marriage has been stale, but I'm about to stir it up. I know your kids been acting like the devil, but I'm about to save them. I know money's been funny, but I'm about to give increase into your bosom. Somebody clap your hands and say, he makes all things new. Mm-hmm. I love uh, hallelujah. Bible goes on to say, Isaiah 43, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness. Uh, Y'all take your seats. I'm not finished yet. Uh, isn't it something? I, I told a couple yesterday at intercessory prayer. And by the way, wouldn't it be something if we had 30 people in prayer next, next Saturday morning? Wouldn't it be something if we had 30 believing saints to spend one hour on a Saturday morning. You can go to IHOP and Panera Bread after prayer. You can go somewhere and cook your bacon and eggs after prayer. I'm sorry, turkey, sausage, and eggs uh, after prayer, yes. Uh, but for one hour, somebody say one hour. Wouldn't it be something if we cried out to God on the behalf of the church? We're not praying for cars and houses. We're not praying for watches and diamonds. But we're saying, God, let the power of the Lord fill the church, save in our homes, do a work in the people of God. And God said, I'm going to do a new thing. I'll even make a way in the wilderness. Isn't it something? Listen to me closely. Although we've seen so much darkness in this season, we've seen so much pain in this season, but isn't it something we've not seen the righteous forsaken? Nor his seed beg for bread. In fact, some of you all have actually increased in this season. Some of you all have gotten raises you didn't expect. Some of you all have gotten financial deals that have gone your way that you didn't see coming. Some of you all have actually had things work in your favor because of this season. God says, I'll even make a way in the wilderness. I got to keep preaching. Uh, uh, God, may I remind every one of you today, is a God of newness. He's a God of unused. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, unusual. Mm -hmm. Remarkable things. He gives us, number one, a new mercy. Lamentations 3 reminds us, it is, through the it is through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Watch this. His mercies are new. When? Every morning. When you wake up in the morning, his mercy is sitting right there waiting for you. Some of you all, your morning had to be at 11 at night. But when you receive mercy from God, they are new every morning. God said, I'll give you a new heart. Uh, Ezekiel 36 to 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your foul from your flesh and I will give you a fresh start. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I, I like to have a fresh start. 
I, I don't know if I'm the only one in the room, but thank God for a new heart because the old heart had been broken. The old heart can't be trusted. The old heart you can't depend on. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. But God said, I'm going to take that old fleshly, stony heart and I'm going to give you a new heart. Somebody say, thank God for a new heart. Yeah, he gives us new songs. Bible says in Psalm 33 and 3, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with the shout of joy. When we begin to sing this morning, I was reminded of that verse. Not only that, but the book, the Bible says that Isaiah 42 and 10, they sang a new song to the Lord. I thank God for a worship team that doesn't play old, crusty, stale song that everybody can predict. But it, 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 no one can predict which Sunday, the, what song they're going to be singing or who's going to lead the song. That is the freshness, the newness, the glory, the power of the Lord. I thank God for men and women who are sensitive to the Holy Ghost and they know when it's time to have the Hebraic Messianic songs like we sang today but yet can go old school and sing an old anthem when it's needed yet can jump into a new song but I pray and can't wait till the day come we all get slain in the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost gives us a song right there on the spot you'll record that song and those songs will go viral and they'll make millions for you why because God says I'm not going to give you nothing used I'm not going to give you something that's been left over, but I'm giving you something fresh, something that God can use for his glory. He gives us new man. We become a new man. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creation. Notice the Bible didn't say he's a new man. The Bible didn't say she's a new woman, but the Bible says if any man be in Christ, they are a new creation. Come on, say the word creation. The word creation means created act of God. God doesn't even make you a better, he doesn't even make you a better form of you. He doesn't make you a newer person of who you were. He makes you a new creation. That's why when you get saved, when you give your life to Jesus, when you are born again, you're not just a recycled you, you're not just a rediscovered you, but you are a new created act of God. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Well, how do we know that? Well, well, because the Bible says old things are passed away. Old things are passed away. And behold, here we go again. Look closely. All things, all things become brand new. Let me take a moment and deviate real quick. I don't know if there's anyone in the room struggling with the sins of their past. Guilt, shame, embarrassment, quandaries and questions. May I remind you that when he makes you a new creation, he takes your sins, casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. He forgets about it. The church forgets about it. People, some that is, can't forget about it. But the goal is that you need to forget yourselves because he died on Calgary's cross just for you. And when he died on Calvary's cross for you, the blood shed, washed away all of your sins, not some of your sins, not the big ones and left behind the little ones. But somebody say, all of my sins were washed under the blood. He takes the Holy Ghost highlight in heaven and eraser, and he erases every sin, every shame, every iniquity, every transgression. Why? Because all things have become brand new. I want you to turn with me real quick to Luke chapter 5. I like this one right here. I think this is what we need to pause for a moment, and I'll close the message after this. Luke chapter 5. I, we, we've talked about new uh, songs and, and new hearts and new mercy and even having a new man, but 
May I talk to you just for a few moments about new wine? Because to me, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. God says, I'm going to give you some new wine. And, and before you get happy, too happy, he's not talking about the wine that's still uh, in the cabinet uh, under the sink that you don't think don't nobody know about. The Holy Ghost knows about it. You know, when I came up in ministry, Pastor Jen, you'll remember that we used to have these arguments about whether the wine in the Bible was fermented or unfermented. And for many, for, 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 I'll just say for seasons, we even allowed the church to tell people, oh, child, that was unfermented wine. When Jesus made that wine, it was unfermented. You know, it sounded good. It made you feel good, but that wasn't true. The wine that Jesus turned or the water that Jesus turned into wine was alcoholic wine. There was no unfermented wine at, the, at that season. Wine was wine. How do we know? Because Paul says the wine that you drink, uh, it will lead to this visitation uh, or destruction. Don't be filled with that type of wine, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. The wine that people thought that the saints were drinking in Acts chapter 2. That could have been affirmative wine because no one was going to get drunk off that type of wine. That had to be alcoholic wine. So let's get to the key. Let's cut through the chain and let's set the record straight. There was no unfermented, unalcoholic wine in the New Testament. It was real wine. Right? During the Passover. During the Passover. There were not one, not two, but there were four cups of wine in the traditional Passover. Remember Jesus, Matthew 26, he said, I want you to pray with me for one hour. And he goes and prays to come back. Them rascals would fall asleep. He said, can you not pray one hour? Yeah, yeah, we'll make it. We are. Right. He comes back another hour, and guess what? They still sleep. Why? Well, they had just experienced the Passover. And then during the traditional Jewish Passover, there were four cups of alcoholic wine. They was toe up. Couldn't stand straight up. So we know that wine, now there is no condemnation for wine, but there's common sense for wine. We don't advocate wine, at least not in the holiness church or in the spirit-filled Pentecostal church. Now I realize some of you come from a, you all are wide awake now I'm noticing now, about eight minutes ago, y'all were nodding and uh, wouldn't say amen. And now your eyes are wide open. Keep preaching, preacher. Some of you come out of the Orthodox church where they use real wine at communion. But then we put a stop to that early on in probably early on in the 19th, early on in the 20th century because you had Alcoholics Anonymous. You had men and women who were struggling and they were delivered and they've been set free from alcohol and alcoholics and alcoholism. But the last thing they needed to do is get a little taste of new wine during communion service. So we switched over to, to high sea punch or juice for that matter or whatever you want to call it, grape juice, okay? But in the New Testament, this wine was real. And notice what Luke 5 says. He spoke a parable to them and said, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new will make a tear. And also the piece that is taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine in the old wineskins. Or else the new wine will burst the old wineskins and they'll be spilled. And the wineskins will be destroyed. But new wine, someone say new wine. New wine must be put into new wineskins. And they're both preserved. I don't really have time to do all of the teaching on this one today. But I believe the Holy Spirit is saying that in this post-pandemic COVID-19 season, I'm giving the church new wine. And this is the type of wine that doesn't make you drunk. 
but it does make you hide in the Holy Ghost. This is the new wine. And we don't have to argue whether it was fermented or unfermented because this type of wine represents joy. This type of wine represents life. This type of wine, God says, represents newness. He says, here's the thing. You cannot take a post-pandemic glory and try to match it with who you were before January 2020 or before March 2020. You're not going to be take, you're not going to be able to take this new anointing, this new glory that we sang about and try to match it or fit it into an old system. You cannot put new wine into old systems or old wineskin because the new glory that God's going to do is going to destroy the tradition. It's going to destroy the framework. It's it's going to destroy man's expectations of what you used to do years ago. So this new wine must come into new structure, new measures, new order, new paradigm. I've been writing and Dr. Uh, Pastor, I mean, Elder Dalton, we've been talking about this uh, last time we were together. You know, I wonder what the black church is going to do after this season. Oh, we didn't believe in all of this satellite ministry. Oh, we didn't believe in this online ministry. Oh, we didn't believe in all that. But now, guess what? There are churches that are now making the online ministry the main ministry there are churches now that have satellites they're taking their streaming to a whole nother unfathomable measure of power and experience now the church that was complacent comfortable they had a monopoly they had a loyalty for 400 plus years will be no more wow. those are old wine systems those are old wine skins and the pastor the administrator, the trustee, the board, the leadership team, they are going to have to hear from heaven if they're going to keep their doors open. Yes, yes, All right? Yes. Not everybody absent today is dealing with coronavirus at home or the threat of sicknesses. These last 12 weeks have exposed a lot of people that they can get a little church online. Now, I'm old-fashioned. I'm old-schooled. You're never going to get the online church to replace the main facility. Oh, it ain't about brick and mortar. Oh, it ain't about the facility. Well, for me it is. Because I just believe that God is still in his house. I believe God is still in the sanctuary. And something happens when you make effort to get out your bed and get them rollers out your hair and brush your teeth and put some clothes on, uh, take a bath and put some deodorant on. And put Sunday's finest on, whether the suit or a nice pair of casual attire. And make your way like you would be going to work. Make your way like you're going to the ball game. Make your way like you're going to the casinos in Vegas. And make your way and say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go up to, to Zion. Let us go up to Jerusalem. You're never going to convince me that God is okay with sitting at home, eating pork rind and drinking mellow yellow on a Sunday burping and just following the preacher only. I don't believe that God is satisfied with the convenience and the comfort of just lack today to go, whoa, to them that take ease in the church. Church should be a special place of honor. It should be a place for healing for those that are sick. We're very cognizant today not to lay hands on nobody. But whenever we feel the freedom and the liberty in the seasons to come, I believe there's power in laying hands, whether it's affirmation or confirmation or healing or deliverance or casting the devil out. Yeah, yeah. That can't be done 
on no Facebook Live. That ain't going to touch the TV screen and you're going to feel some power. Well, you better hope you've not been washing dishes and you wet and you somehow touch that electrical cord. You're going to feel some power all right. Then we're going to have to bury you six days later. I'm almost finished. So there's nowhere like the house of God. Let me get back on target real quick. So you don't put no wine in old ways of thinking. Because the wine is going to be spilled. And the little bit of support structures you had will be destroyed. My time is up. I have so much more I want to talk about. But let me close on Holy Communion today. Not only does it give us new wine. Not only does it give us a new heart. Not only does it give us a new song, a new mercy. But it gives us a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Come on, somebody say new covenant. Yeah, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, that's Old Testament, right? But you pick it up in the New Testament in Mark 14. And the Bible says, verse 22, And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they drank from it. And he said to them, This is the blood, or this is my blood, of the new covenant, which is shed for many. But surely I say unto you, I will no longer drink from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new. I'm going to drink it new, Jesus says. I'm going to drink it new in the kingdom of God. There was new heavens and a new earth. There was a new Jerusalem, a new city. And Jesus says, the new covenant that I give to you can no longer be shed by the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. But it'll be my precious blood that I will shed on Calvary's cross. And when that blood is shed for the remission of sin, he who believes shall be saved. And so this new covenant brings salvation. This new covenant brings life. This new covenant is not stale religion. It's not just run-of-the-mill, okey-doke church as usual. But God said, I'm going to give you new glory in the house. This is why the church can't go no further without the auspices and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I know, I know, I know, I thank God for high tech and streaming and being online. But you cannot feel possibly what we feel when the power of the Lord falls in this house. I believe that there's a new covenant. There's a new wine. And there's glory that God brings. Today we honor God with Holy Communion on this first Sunday of June. It is a time of remembrance, of recollection as a church family. It is a call to everyone to come gather together. As Jesus said, take of my body, take of my blood, and do this in remembrance of me. Communion is a time of repentance through self-examination and self-evaluation. I don't know if you can do that at home. I don't know if you can do that through a satellite campus ministry. But I believe that when you come to the altar of God and before you take up the wafer and before you take up the cup, you examine yourself. I know we had some conversation about, well, can we just serve ourselves communion at home? We got some high seat punch and we got a little bread, some bean bread. Can we just have our own communion? And that sounds good practically. But I just think orthodox wise, there needs to be somebody ordained, appointed, anointed to serve you. Some things can't be self-served. It's the sanctity of the house. It's the humility of the people. And a church that loses its moral, ethical, sanctity values 
is a church that does not exist. Communion is a time not just of recollection and remembrance and repentance, but it's a time of recommitment. Praise him. I want you to come and prepare yourself some minister and song. I want you to say that with me. Communion is a time of recommitment. Come on, let's say that again, everybody. Come on, open your mouths and come on through your mask. Come on, say communion is a time of recommitment. Today I close this message and I want to charge you and I call you to a time of recommitment. The Bible says, number one, there should be a renewing of your mind. I ask every one of you today to recommit to being renewed. Recommit to being renewed. I'm not in your home with you. You're not in my home. But you got to take inventory and look at these last 90 some odd days of your life. Look at the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs. How has these last three and a half months been for you at home? We've not had the joy of fellowshipping with one another as we normally would do. We've not had the honor and the joy of being in small groups and meetings and fellowships and all type of events. So you've been sort of in hibernation, if you will, for a season or so. And I want to know today, should this be a time of recommitting? In fact, I'd like to challenge you to commit to these three things. Number one, commit to the renewing of your mind. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. The least you can do is to be a living sacrifice. No, no rams, no bulls, no pigeons. There's no check you can write. There's no volunteer work you can give. This renewing of the mind that comes through sacrifice, living sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Thank you. We're going to be distanced. Thank you. We're going to be. <laughs> <we're> gonna <laughs> I didn't hear you, but I saw you. I didn't know. I didn't see you, but I heard you. Pastor, you can speak that way, but don't speak back this way. All right. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. My brothers and sisters, let me say this to you real quick. 99% of the war you deal with is between your ears. It's between your ears. It's the mind that is always engaged in war. But if you renew your mind, that you would please the Lord, holy, acceptable, pleasing to the Lord, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Number two, renew your inner man. I want you to commit today. Please hear me. Please hear me. We're almost finished. Would you make a commitment to renew your inner man? And I, I struggle with writing that word down because I don't want to sound so churchy that someone who may not know the Lord don't know what that means. But for right now, I'm talking to folk who know the Lord. Have you renewed your inner man, your spirit man? Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inner man or our inward man is being renewed day by day. How do you renew your inner man? Prayer. How do you renew your inner man? Reading the Bible. How do you renew your inner man? Making godly decisions. Living holy. Sharing the love of Jesus. Showing the love of Jesus. 
God calls us to renew our mind, renew our man. Finally, be renewed in the Holy Ghost. I want you to turn with me to Titus. In fact, why don't you stand to your feet? And I want you to find the book of Titus, chapter 3. I had to rehearse this scripture early this morning. I already had it written down. But I had to go back because I felt the Holy Ghost saying something right here. And I want everyone online today to quickly find the book of Titus, chapter 3. Right? It's not too late to hit that share button. Let somebody know that we still have a couple of minutes left, particularly before the altar call. Just do that for me. It could be someone that you've been praying for for years. Give you a phone call this time tomorrow and say, listen, when I saw your preacher online, I gave my life to Jesus. Thank you for sharing with me. You just never know. You have not because you ask not. What well, I ain't going to have for my family. Well, it probably won't with your doubting self. That's not too arrogant, is it? I, I didn't mean to sound arrogant. Just, just I really want to get deep in with this one. Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and the love of God, verse 4 and 5, our Savior toward man appeared, listen, not by works of righteousness, which we had done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The renewing of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I want to read that one more time because it's something else that he says. It says, once again, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness. In other words, ain't nothing you can do right now to, to get his favor. There's no works that you can do to get God to do something fresh in you. Not the works of men. But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. May I remind every one of you all today that he wants to pour out the Holy Ghost on you and renew you in the Holy Spirit. We had a moment yesterday in prayer where we just began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And I realized that there's some, again, who are not quite ready for that. We need to teach you about the power of praying in tongues, the power of not just speaking in tongues, but praying in tongues. I know that doesn't jive well on media, and that won't jive well in your academic halls of, of scholarship and success. But in the scriptures, Bible speaks of praying in the Holy Ghost, pray in your most uh, in your most holy faith, praying or building your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Paul says, I, I pray in tongues and I pray in the natural. I sing in tongues and I sing in the natural. There was a distinction there. And for many of us, we we're, were always window shopping at Saks Fifth Avenue. They got some of the prettiest windows uh, uh, on Fifth Avenue for the world to see. Now they're boarded up right now with barbed wire fences in front of them. But God don't want you window shopping when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He wants you to go in the door, go in the store and buy everything you want. Why? Because he poured out the Holy Spirit on you. And if there's never been a time to receive the renewing of Ashaya, there's never been a time to receive the Holy Spirit. Now is the time. Why? Because he makes all things brand new. He makes all things new.